Are you ready to bring your real estate game to the next level? My name is James Prendamano. I'm the CEO and founder of Pre-Real. And over the past 25 years, I've closed over a billion dollars in transactional real estate. Each week, I'm meeting with outstanding investors, high-performing individuals, and visionaries operating in the real estate space. These are the people that are actually out there in the real estate game right now getting it done. This podcast aims at bringing anyone's game to the next level. This is the Pre-Real Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the show, the Pre-Real Podcast today. I have a treat for you, folks. Uh, We're joined by Michael Barnhart and Susie Sevier. They are the founder and co-founder of Adventurous Real Estate Investors. Now, I know we have uh, folks on the show all the time that talk about syndications and raises and investing and passive investing, uh, but you guys have a really, really unique story. Uh, you're clearly very passionate about community and uh, investing with purpose, and we'll, we'll take a deep dive into that, but really an amazing history. I have to say thank you for your service right out of the gate. Uh, amazing. And really do appreciate that. Uh, the audience typically likes to go back in time if we can a little bit. We have two guests today. So do we want to start with Michael, Susie? Who wants to roll first? I can, first. I can start. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So, uh, Michael, you, you've, you've served for, for many years. Uh, from what I understand, combat vet. Uh, can we kind of even though go, go back to the, to the very beginnings you know, I find that there's like common threads in all of us uh, that are entrepreneurs or serial entrepreneurs uh, and investors. Uh, if anything you can think of back to your early days, childhood, first of all, where did you grow up? So I grew up just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. Okay. So you grew up outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And, and how does a kid from Atlanta, Georgia end up in the Air Force Academy and then passive investing from abroad? Yeah, um, man, that's a good question. I'll, I'll try to keep it as brief as possible. Um, you know, to kind of get back, so I graduated high school and I was, I was planning on going to college and I was going to college full-time and also working full-time and I realized, you know, I, I couldn't make it. I was, you know, working at Papa John's delivering pizzas until 6 a.m. because it's a college town, right? Uh, but then I have class at 8 a.m., right? And so <clears throat> burning the candle of both ends just wasn't, was not cutting it for me. And I had to find some other way to kind of make a, you know, to get my education. So I ended up joining the Air Force, uh, enlisted at the time. Um, and then during that whole time, um, I did really well at enlisted basic training and through my first assignment and stuff like that. And my commander was like, hey, you need to check out this thing called the Air Force Academy. And I was like, no idea what that is. I didn't even know there was a service academy for the Air Force. And so um uh, she recommended me go check it out. So I applied and ended up going there and got com- my commission um, <clears throat> and ended up over here eventually. But to, to kind of back backtrack a little bit and think about the entrepreneurial side of me, right? Um, you know, when I, was a, when I was a kid, I always remember, you know, getting the like science books and getting the, the books on building things and, and things like that. And like, I'm always, was always tinkering with things like building alarm systems for my, for my room um you know to, to shock people if they try to come in and th- it's just like <laughs> crazy things like that right like i'm always tinkering always building things always seeing how i could push the limits with certain things and, and just always learning and always wanting to learn more and more and more right and i think that's a, a, a characteristic or a trait of a serial serial entrepreneur is like somebody who's who wants to build something and then when they build that they want to continue to build upon that um, 
and grow that and then continue to grow that even further. Right. So like, um, I think that's kind of where it all came from. I'm not sure if it was my mom or my dad who, um, who kind of instilled that in me. I think it was just my, my own curiosity. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's a little bit about me and in, in, in my entrepreneurship before I, we started the real estate investing, uh, business. Uh, I also started a, 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 um, a, a brewing brewing consulting business so basically it was like i have a degree in molecular biology a master's degree in molecular biology and so like i was like and i'm a i love craft beer as well and i was just in a in the right place at the right time where i thought about hey there's a niche in the market in the craft beer market where a lot of these craft breweries didn't have a lab and so i was like i'll be their mobile laboratory and so i started this business grew it up ended up selling it um not too long ago and then uh and now we started some other businesses and one of them is real estate investing. So, but uh, that's enough about me. I'll let uh, Susie kind of tell, <laughs> tell her story now. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah. Susie, just before we, we jump over to you, just a couple of quick follow-ups there. So again, clearly serial entrepreneur, right? You're, uh, we, we love to build things, but we love to deconstruct and rebuild and deconstruct and rebuild and, and improve on the model, right? It's just right. in our DNA, I guess. It, it was anybody else in the family that uh, had served before you? Um, my dad, my dad was a pilot uh, in the Air Force um, in this in the 50s and 60s. So, okay. yeah. so there was some influence there. And anybody that uh, had significant roots or background in real estate? No, nobody at all, actually. So, yeah. Interesting. All right, Susie, take it away. So I was like, I don't even know where to start. Um, originally from Southern California, moved to the Midwest, like moved to Iowa, or that is the Midwest, moved to Hawaii, Iowa, Colorado. But I was always like the girl in elementary school, you know, like it's like, okay, whoever had their homework done first got the beanie baby. So come fifth grade, I probably had 400 beanie babies. And then, um, you know, like selling the wrapping paper and getting the biggest prize. That was me. But just throughout my life, I guess I never really thought about ever like building my own business. I always worked a lot though, like throughout college, I always had two jobs, you know, even getting my MBA, I still had two jobs, even though I was in accounting, like I still had another job because I knew like working and working and working and at least like making money. Cause at that point in my life, I felt like I had like an income problem. You know, I was like, okay, I want to make more money. How do I do that? And I didn't know about real estate at the time. So for me, that was just working over and over and over. But for one of my undergraduate degrees, it was actually in anthropology and throughout the whole entire time I was getting it. And even after so many people were like, why would you get a degree in anthropology? And for me, it was like, well, I love people. So like, I want to get a degree in at least something that I like. I also do communication studies, but anthropology made a lot of sense. Like I want to learn about communities. I want to learn about people. Like, I just want to understand like this earth is just majority human. <laughs> so, I mean, at least like continent, so like, why not, why not give it, why not give it a shot? And so I didn't actually realize like how much that would come into play until we started investing in real estate. As of now, even just being military spouse, I'm now in real estate full-time for a variety of 
reasons. Like one with every move, I no longer have to worry about like that job change because it's pretty significant, you know, like after you get an MBA and you've already been in like the finance world, then you move to a new country and you're like, Oh, I can't work. Cause I have to wait to get a visa. And my whole life had been working, right? Like that's all I ever did. It's, it was a pretty big, like blow, like, who am I? What does this mean? How do I feel? But then I found out like, who I am as a person is not defined by my job role. It's about everything else that I bring. And like, I need to remember that. And so when I deconstructed that and then like just slowly remembered like my love for humans, real estate is how like it all meshed together. It was like, wait, I can bring all of those traits into real estate, even though I know nothing about it, I can bring my love for people into real estate, even though that's not something that's ever talked about. Like, how can we then Michael and I like bring our skills together to make this work, even though we don't know anything about it. Cause I have only ever rented. And so, I mean, I guess I had that on my side. I was like, okay, well, if I've also rented just, that's it. I can, I understand at least from my like experience, like what it's like to only be a renter and what I would want from the other end. Sure. So <clears throat> again, quite a bit of, of ground there, but you said a few things that, that really resonated with me, right? So one of the things was recognizing some, some caps or, or challenges in uh, being able to make additional money, right? And something that we do it seems like the overwhelming majority of us do this and we never recognize it. Or by the time we do, it's too late. We trade time for money, mm -hmm. right? And when you're trading your time for money, there is an absolute finite cap on what you're able to, to earn. And you, you have to start looking outside uh, of that model, which can be very scary because yeah. for most people that is not only comfortable, it's the only thing that they know. Uh, and the idea of not having the ability to rely on a, a check every month or every week or every two weeks is really scary. You know, when people get on and we watch all these podcasts and people are all talking all the time about trading in their nine to five and they're going to go and, and, you know, take on the world. Uh, and that's wonderful. And we, we absolutely recommend that, that you, you really give, give it all you have. You, you, you want to, when, when it's your, your last moment, you want to make sure that that cup is empty, but you've got to be measured and you've got to be pragmatic in the approach because there, this isn't easy. What we do is, is not easy. So uh, you, you also talked about the study of people and, you know, we talk to new agents all the time about this. You're not selling real estate. Real estate is a byproduct of, yeah. of what we do. You are building and fostering relationships. You're building and fostering trust. Mm -hmm. Once you've done that and the human side of you uh, connects with people, the real estate comes after, right? Uh, so many people get on and it's sell, 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 or buy, buy, buy. Uh, and that's very hard to relate to. It's something that as I started to push more and more into social media, and, and get more comfortable with it, I made a terrible mistake after mistake after mistake because I felt, well, I have to show value. I have to show people, I, I know what I'm doing here. So I was making market predictions and doing all sorts of, of things that to me were really valuable. But if people didn't know me and people weren't connecting with me, it didn't matter. 
it didn't resonate with anybody. Uh, you know, there's a, a, a popular show, Billions, where uh, they've got Wendy. Are you familiar with the show? No. Okay, so it's a, it's a popular show, I think, on HBO or something. And one of the, the roles in this, this big hedge fund is Wendy, who is kind of the, uh, she analyzes the, the staff, she reads the staff, and she coaches them and gets them in their right mindset to go and perform at their absolute peak. And I think, uh, as silly as it sounds, but that show started to kind of get people to start looking at the human side of this a little bit more and understanding how critical and important it is to really study the, the, the subject is really the people. It's not the deal. and The deals will come thereafter. So I think that's really interesting that you recognize that um, before you even got into the game. So you guys are on totally separate paths. It sounds like neither of you had any kind of a, a real estate background. How, do, how does this come together and, and result in, you know, adventurous real estate investors and this passionate, you know, passive investing with purpose theme? How does this all come to be? Yeah, so that's a great question. <laughs> so... <laughs> Like when COVID-19 first happened, the first lockdown over here in the UK was a little over a hundred days, but everyone was sent home. Everything was closed down. And Michael and I were like, okay, well, what are we going to do for, what are we going to do? Cause we don't know when this is actually going to end. And so we decided that we were going to start a mini book club with each other. <laughs> and the very first book was the slight edge and just somebody that Michael had worked with in Afghanistan gave it to him. And for some reason, Michael was like, okay, this is the book we should start with. I haven't read it yet, but this is the one. And so it just talks about pretty much like being 1% better every day and what that compounding effect does. But then in the back of the book, it has a reading list. And so we bought a bunch of books on the back. And one of those books was Multiple Streams of Income by Robert Allen. And so Michael would like read the book and then I would read it after him. And when he got to the real estate section, he's like, just skip over the first section. This, we don't need to cover this. Let's just go straight into real estate. And I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, like, let's see how this goes. But then when we found out that the world of real estate had gone virtual, we knew that like, this was our opportunity, right? Like it was just taking that first leap. And for us, that first leap was actually like one Facebook post. And that Facebook post was like, are there other people out there like investing in the US, but living out of the country? And people started saying yes. And like, it was like, that was the affirmations that we needed. Right. And so like we had an initial call with like one of our very close friends now, Marcus Long, who introduced us to like go to a conference. We went to that conference where like Whitney Sewell looked at us in one of like the breakout rooms and said, like, you can start with multifamily. You don't have to go into single family, you know, which like propelled us into continuing this journey because through that then, and having more confidence to like talk to people and go to networking events, everyone says everyone, I have yet to like talk to anyone yet who has not agreed with this, that they wish they would have gotten in real estate sooner. So we knew that there was no reason for us to wait until we moved back to the U S that like, if we had all the resources 
that we do right now because they're what everybody else has because nobody else was really meeting in person then we needed to do it so we kind of went into like the scarcity mindset of if everything went in person tomorrow would we be satisfied with what we did today okay so you're you're deciding to take the leap and as it's so funny, you started a book club because we started a book club also during COVID in the office. Right. And it's been, it's been an absolute amazing. It's the, my favorite thing that we've done in the office. We've learned so much uh, from each other and it, it's, it's, it, we, we have so many tools available to us. If just think about 20 years ago, Susie, if we, if we would have said that you're going to be overseas and you're going to have the ability to start investing in real estate and tour the properties, diligence the properties, line up investors for the properties and do it from overseas, right? We would have looked at each other like we had three heads because that was <laughs> so, so foreign. Um, and we've come so far in such a short period of time in real estate. Although I believe we still have a massive way to go and there's so many disruptors that are available out there. Uh, so you take this opportunity and you decide we want to invest. So where was the first investment made? So that first investment was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. And uh, how large did you go on that first investment? Was it a two family, five family, 10 family? It was 88 units. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. 88 units. All right. So we've got to take a dive into this. <laughs> never invested on this scale in real estate before. And you guys come out of the gate with 88 units. You've got to tell me from start to finish, how did you find the property? How did you diligence the property? Uh, do you still own it? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Uh, and then how is it? How is it performing today? So let's go from the top. How, how did you find the, the, the opportunity? Yeah, so first, um, you know, being overseas, we knew we, we needed to have a team that was back in the States, um, or at least some one boot, boots on the ground partner uh, in a certain area. Yeah, basically, through social media, as you kind of mentioned earlier, right? As you're moving on social media, like we started posting on social media, and we're interested in real estate investing. And one of my uh, friends uh, from the Air Force Academy, um, a classmate of mine reached out and said, hey, I'm... I'm, I just moved full-time into real estate investing. Let's chat. And so we chatted. He was based, he is based in Oklahoma city. And so we began a discussion and we were like, Hey, you know what we, of the markets that we identified during our like market survey to kind of see where we wanted to invest uh, based on a bunch of different factors and variables, um, Oklahoma city and Tulsa were one or two of the cities. And so like him being in Oklahoma City was great, and because Tulsa is just uh, just an hour up the road, basically, and so we we started looking. So that kind of that, that kind of narrowed it down to two markets, right? Yeah. And then from there, we started building relationships with brokers because everything went online. We're able to meet with brokers um, via Zoom at that point because nobody was meeting in person, right? So started building relationships with brokers uh, via via Zoom. And then just keeping up with them. And then they started feeding us deals. We'd underwrite the deals, get back to them, you know, submit an LOI or not submit an LOI. And I just want to add to this part, right? So like, because it goes into creating relationships. So that is what stuck out was that Michael and I responded even when we did not like the deal. And we would say like why we did not like the deal, because 
if we get a deal and we don't respond and we get another deal and we don't respond, why would they keep sending us deals? <laughs> you know, well, so it was well, they won't, funny. they won't keep sending you deals, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's paying attention to the other side of this, paying attention to the human element and that there's somebody on the other side who's working hard to try and make a living, who's trying to find the right asset for you. And if you're not responding, chances are you're not going to continue to get, you know, pipeline opportunities from them. So um, again, I applaud you for looking at the other side of it so early in the game, but you, you had said in the beginning that you, you diligenced some different locations and opportunities. And I think this is really important for the audience as, as real estate continues to decentralize uh, and people continue to invest outside of where they can touch and feel the asset, which is a great source of discomfort for most investors. Um, did you use third-party sites to, to do the, the homework or were you just you know, jumping around and, and checking out uh, employment rates and, and you know, uh, income and what, what did that look like for you? Yeah, so I mean, we were using a much different, um, basically Google searching. You know, I don't remember exactly how we initial, initially started everything, you know, looking at, I know we wanted to invest in places where, you know, it was a lower price per door, number one, um, and there wasn't a lot of competition, but we, we also wanted that our thing was like, we wanted a substantial amount of cash flow mm -hmm. um, and not just banking on appreciation because a lot of like Sunbelt states and like Texas and things like that, like you, if you invest there, like you're investing and then you basically force a value add and then you're basically um, basing everything on appreciation at the end, right? And you have a little trickle of cash flow in between there, like in the Midwest and in Oklahoma and stuff like that. Like you can get in at a price per door, which makes sense um, for you to have a, a substantial amount of cash flow. At least 50% of the returns come from cash flow. And then you can also get 50% of the returns come from appreciation at the same time. And you're not really banking everything on appreciation. So that's kind of what we initially started everything. So um, what, what, Michael's referring to here, you guys have heard me talk about this in the audience, buying payments, not buying real estate. When you're banking on certain metrics to go through the roof, it's very dangerous. And these markets change, folks. Um, what goes up must come down and yeah. forget that in this business. So uh, you, you, you also were very, very glib about, oh, well, we underwrite it. Uh, how did you learn how to underwrite? What <laughs> were you looking at? It was cash on cash a, a big metric for you? Was cash flow a big metric? How did you decide that this 88 unit building was the right one? Yeah, great question. So, um, and going back just real quick about what you just mentioned about, you know, everything can change and the market can fall out, right? Um, we, that's why we chose Oklahoma as one of our markets is because like, we can get the, you know, we can get, we can buy assets that are cash flowing significantly, right? Um, and if something happens with the market and we can't sell at the end of our five-year business plan, then we can hold that asset. And guess what? It's still cash flowing for however long we need to hold it until we need to exit it when, we, when it makes the most sense to our investors. And we also get loan products that match our investment thesis. And that means like getting a 10, 15, 20-year loan or even though your business plan is for, you know, three to five years, whatever. So you have plenty of time to exit the property when it makes the most sense for your investors. Uh, are you going to say something? Yeah, so, so how are you specking that out? Um, and thank you for sharing that because it's another critical piece 
here is people forget in, in these cycles that interest rates go up and these things are, are uh, I believe are in a, an inflationary period. And I believe we're gonna see uh, significant changes to the market in the 24, 2024, 2025 uh, period. But you're, so you're looking at these as a uh, five-year business plan, but 10, 15, 20 year debt service are they fixed products or are they adjusting after a certain point? We aim to get fixed products for sure. Um, as much so as we smart folks, listen to what they are telling you. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you're totally fine. Yeah, so this 88 unit was, um, it, it just worked out. Like we were like, hey, cool, it's gonna, it's gonna cash flow nice. Um, you know, there's, there's, after we do the re, a slight repositioning, you know, changing out the resident base and things like that. Um, and, yeah, we knew we we're gonna. Get, it's a this one's a seven year business plan, but we ended up getting a twenty year loan on it. Um, and I was just gonna add though, like even just going one step back on how to underwrite because I think that's pretty huge, or at least it was for us. So like we, we were going to networking events all of the time. Like we went to twenty conferences, no, not twenty, ten conferences in twenty twenty, and we were going to like ten meetups a week. So a lot. And with that, we started telling people, Oklahoma City and Tulsa, Oklahoma City and Tulsa. Well, because of the consistency, because that's also very huge in real estate, somebody had said to us, like, I want to introduce you to someone, another syndicator who's also in Tulsa. And this particular syndicator goes after much bigger properties than we had imagined taking down for our first time. And he had said, like, everything is on a pause for us right now. But I would like to like continue to talk to you and Michael, because always in this also, like, how can we bring value to others? You know, Michael found a way to bring value and he was like, you know, I think I can keep doing this with you too. And so he actually was like a big reason behind our underwriting. Like we would underwrite and then we would go over it with him. Like, is this right? You know, like we found a property off of loop net and just practicing yeah and just practicing does this look right and he'd be like why well, would change this or try and change this like let's look at a like let's underwrite again and see if it works out and so finally like with our first acquisition harper's lodge you know we like it, we got it right he's like just it was like those affirmations like somebody in the area who knew what was happening in the area could look at our underwriting and say yes that's true because i find right here in a lot of mentorship programs, like people will have a mentor, but they invest in two completely different areas. And I, I get like, there are multiple aspects of like a mentor, but if the mentor is supposed to help you get that first deal and they know nothing about your market, I just, I see a big disconnect there. Yeah. So without a doubt, the having, having a mentor and having somebody that you can bounce these things off in market is invaluable. So uh, I'm, I'm interested in the unit count. So you landed on 88 units. Yeah. As you were underwriting, were you accounting for, uh, so let, let me, let me set this up uh, better because I, I have it in my head and I've got to let the audience know what I'm talking about here. Right. <laughs> so one of the challenges folks that, that you can come up against when you're investing in a new market that is not local for you is not having enough critical mass to support the ancillary things like a super, uh, a handyman, people that need to take care of the repairs and the, the things like things happen, right? In apartments and things happen in buildings that need to be tended to. So 
Did you land on 88 units uh, purposefully? Were you building in those contingencies, thinking about how many units would support someone like that? Or, or was that just happenstance? Yeah, absolutely. We were definitely thinking about that um, because we wanted, we wanted a, uh, you know, a community large enough, apartment community large enough that would support on-site manager and on-site maintenance because like, because Susie and I are overseas, like we cannot be there, even though Susie goes back, you know, quite often, but we can't be there on a day-to-day basis, really running out the business plan. We want to make sure that we had full-time maintenance, full-time manager that was on-site that would be able to carry out the business plan that we designed on a day-to-day basis, at least Monday through Friday, at least. So um, that was a huge thing for us. Like we were not going to even consider anything smaller than that. Um, And well, I will say initially we were, we're like, we can make this work, right? And then we can just get a a property manager and things like that. But then our first deal that we ever underwrote, well, not ever underwrote, but the first deal we ever submitted an LOI on was 126 units like seven over seven million dollars and like after that we're like oh we don't even want to bother with anything less than 100 units um but 88 is i would say smaller um because it it, it can barely support on-site manager on-site maintenance but uh and it can be tough uh, for the income on that uh but but it works but it works out for sure so yeah we, we found uh underwriting these things for so many years that 75 is kind of the bare minimum Mm-hmm. where it works and then um from 75 you can really depending on the building and uh how it's built infrastructure and a, a myriad of other factors you could probably run that up to 150 to 200 units on that same infrastructure mm-hmm. before you have to start adding more staff so yes. okay you find this deal uh where had you done a raise or did you have commitments or was this your own cash let's let's walk through the financial part of it so we raised our money <laughs> and it was really difficult only because oh, actually there's just so many reasons, right? Um, so somebody said to us, you needed to start raising money yesterday. We're like, okay, we got to do this then. And we found out right away. And this was before we knew about Harper's Lodge that our friends and family were not going to be the people who were going to invest with us. So it was pretty much starting at ground zero. And I bring this up again with consistency. So with these um, conferences and with these meetups, like Michael and I would snip the screen and then find them on LinkedIn and essentially say like, hey, we didn't get a chance to connect at the meetup or at the conference, but I'd love to learn more about you. And that is how we built our investor list was having all of those calls. I mean, we were having at one point, like 20, 25 calls a week, trying to build our list so that we could actually raise. So when we went into our first raise, it was like successful. Like we raised the money. We felt, we felt we were happy with what we Mm -hmm. raised. It's just everything before (laughs) because nobody's really talking about raising, you know? So I am just very thankful for that person who said you needed to start raising money yesterday because all of our deals are 506B. So you have to have that relationship. So um, it's amazing. Like you took the old fashioned ground to pound approach and you're focusing on people, right? Paying attention to people is is the key to unlock these opportunities. So 
the 88 unit building, what was the strike price on it? 4.375. And out of that, how much did you end up raising? 1.6, 1. 1. 1. 1.7, yeah. Okay, so folks, here are two investors that do not have a real estate background that uh, had no family trust that they fell into, that had no uh, friends and family raised that they snapped their fingers and and the money fell out of a tree. <laughs> I and wish. <laughs> on the first deal, took down a $4.375 million property and raised $1.6 million from paying attention to people, good old fashioned outreach and elbow grease. Out, I mean, what an amazing story, guys. Congratulations. That's, that is really tremendous. Well done. Thank you, James. James, I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, we had like in our team, like we had another person help us bring the capital as well. But between Michael and I and that other person, it was, we brought majority of the capital and it was both our first raises. So it was a lot of, it was a lot of elbow grease that went into it. <laughs> now your, your investor uh, metrics, they're, uh, I assume they're getting paid dividends. And then is there like a liquidation event or a trigger after X amount of years for them to recapture? Yes. Yeah. So we'll pay quarterly, dividend, um, yeah, quarterly distributions and then uh, equity share at the end when yeah. we dis uh, dispose of the property. Yeah. And we have a, like an 8% preferred return. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. And then is there any kickers on the liquidation or is it just a straight eight and, and that's their, their compensation? Um, so it's 70, 30 split is what we do. So 70% going to them and 30% to us. Well, after you knock a few more of these down, right, you'll, you'll see those metrics will, will start sliding the other way. And before you know it, it'll be 70, 30 in your favor. So <laughs> <laughs> This is, this is nice. really amazing. Um, so, so you've, this was fairly recent, by the way. I mean, this, this just, has just happened over the last few years. Yeah. So this first closing was February actually of this, this year. year. Of this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And don't, didn't you guys then subsequently acquire a few other properties? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe four more after that. The, of um, this year. This year. A lot. Sorry. Congratulations. <laughs> like, this Thanks, is amazing. <laughs> so you guys currently have almost 400 units under management, right? Mm -hmm. Correct. Correct. What an absolutely unbelievable story. So uh, as this is happening, there's a, a passion for the outdoors, right? You, yeah. You're both outdoor enthusiasts. I am also another common theme that I find in us nutty kind of serial entrepreneurs. So can you talk to the audience about um, you know, adventurous real estate investors and, and what that is and what that means and the passive investing with purpose. Absolutely. Yeah. So when we were thinking about like what we want our, wanted our business to like be or sound like all of the above, like, especially with us being so far away. Right. Cause even with that, like we require like more, I don't want to say like more intimacy, but immediately people were like, Oh, you're in the UK. I don't know about this. So when we were thinking about our business, we're like, okay, like we really want it to reflect who we are because I want people to like hear adventurous real estate investors and think of Michael and Susie. So like, but before we got there, it was like, what does that 
mean? How do we get there? And a lot of what we do is going on an adventure, right? So we kind of make it very playful day by day. So it's like, oh, okay. Like, are you ready to go on adventure? You know, Michael be like, what's that? I'm like, we get to go to the grocery store, (laughs) you know, just trying to make like everything more fun. But Michael and I, outside of just going to the grocery store, like really do love the outdoors. And so like a lot of what we do, like we love to cycle, we love to rock climb, we love to hike, we love to snowboard. And so because we also have that passion for adventure outside of walking, um, it was like, okay, well, let's add that in because that really reflects us and it reflects like what we like to do. And we really love to travel and that all mixes into adventure as well. And I think the whole point behind it too is that Adventure means something different for everyone, but we can all come to say like, we love an adventure, even though it's all different for all of us. And so that's how adventurous real estate invent was born. I can't say adventurous real estate investors was born. (laughs) So everybody loves an adventure, right? And and I I, I love the enthusiasm and the passion uh, and in, in the vein of passion, Passive investing with purpose. What does that mean to you? And can you describe that to the audience, please? Absolutely. So when we had thought about real estate investing and we like thought about like, what is really like the greatest compliment? And that essentially is like resident retention. So if we just want to start it there, because like Michael and I like believe that like we are meant to like serve beyond like our four walls, right? Like if what, and so how do we do that? And that's where real estate investing came. But with resonant retention, it's like, well, if they're our greatest gift and they are really what makes this business happen, why don't we act like that? Like, why don't we treat them like that? So like, we have to remember that they are people too, and that if they are the most important, how can we get that to spread? And so what that means for us, like within our business is that like, when we create business plans, we think like the renter essentially, or we try to, because obviously classes and everything are different, but like when we were running like around our, I guess, town, city, village, whatever you want to call it over here, something that really stood out at the beginning was that like laundromats, were either closed or every other one was like X'd off. And I was like, that is huge. If I went to the laundromat and I knew that I couldn't do laundry, especially during COVID, right? When like you have to pretty much like leave any tight space, like what would that mean to be able to give that to someone else? So like we make a point to try to add like in-unit washer and dryers because this even goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, time. Like if we can give the residents back more time, whether they notice it or not, like that is still important because I rather spend my time multitasking when my laundry is going than going to a laundromat and sitting there and waiting for them to be done because you can't really go and do another one. You know, I mean, even now, like in the military spouses page I'm in, like if somebody leaves their laundry or if a lot of people leave their laundry in a washer, that affects everybody else behind them. So it's like, there's just so much, sorry, I'm, I'm going to just go in all into it. So like with the slight edge also like 1% better every day. So if we think like there are almost 8 billion people on this earth, and if just a small fraction of us try to be 1% better every day, whether that was to ourselves or someone else, like what could that do? And so like, if we continue to have that mindset every day 
it does something. And whether I smile and open up a door for someone, I don't need to know if that made their day better. Like, but if it did and they then help someone else, like that's just the whole point. And so even just to go back to the residents and to the brokers and like to all our vendors, like people really just want to be like heard and understood. So like, if we can take a moment to even just listen, because we were all born with two ears and one mouth, <laughs> then like what could happen? And so, I mean, that's why that's a big thing. Like I spent like almost five weeks in Tulsa and at this particular property, just to be like, okay, if I'm here, like just observing, I can figure out like how to serve them better so that this can be a better place for everyone. And that's just what I want to do. Like our goal is not to necessarily acquire a thousand units. Like I would rather be able to spend time and like 1% make help one, like these people's lives 1% better than to give like a very small, much smaller fraction and go much larger. Like we're just about trying to impact the people in any way, even if we will never notice it. Like if we can focus on that though, then conversations change. So you'll, you'll absolutely notice it. And, and the, you know, the micro adjustments or micro actions have a macro impact because they compound, right? So I, I love the idea of, again, looking at the human side of it, which is something that there's just, there's not enough of in, in our business. Um, too often, this is just about numbers and dollars and cents. But when you're taking the time to go and, and look at the, the challenges that people are having uh, throughout their everyday life and make these little shifts in your offering, it does have a, a profound impact and they will notice. And I believe, you, you know, you pay it forward. That, that, that's what this is about. Because uh, at the end of the day, we can't bring these buildings with us. Uh, so I, again, I really applaud you guys for applying that human side, because I really think that there's a not nearly enough of it in, in what we do. So as you're doing these deals, are you, you know, taking note of, of the, the micro changes that you think are impactful? Are you, are you thinking about one day maybe having a brand of, you know, um, the, the, the Michael and Susie buildings include these types of things or these types of amenities? Is that kind of, you know, part of this? Are you thinking about building a, a brand of the, the, the offerings that are included in, in your type of, of housing stock? I mean, no, you can go. I mean, I, I haven't really thought of it that far, but, you know, I think, um, I think just, just being on like podcasts like this, where we talk about, you know, taking care of the residents, right? Treating them like people making an impact, right? And, and then also be able to provide that to our investors, but like being able to provide the opportunity for people to invest and to you know increase their passive income streams but also all the while doing so is they're making an impact while doing it you know like being able to do that and then and then i don't know were you going to add anything to that well, i like, just no i can go off of what michael was saying <laughs> because i don't it, that would be really awesome actually to say like this is what like would come into this area I think our biggest thing though, is like to just help other syndicators who are already in the space will start to do it. And I think 
that's big too, because like I can, like I see the little changes, whether that's even with our property manager specifically or our maintenance guy, you know, cause they're all a part of this equation too. Like, but like, it would be nice if other people started thinking oh. about it. So it's more just talking about it. But, but you know how you'll get the other people to do it? by as you do this in a market specific you will pick up momentum people will talk about wanting to be a part of the buildings that you guys own and the offerings that you guys have this will spread and people will talk about it on social media we work with iron state developers um uh, david barry up here in new york they built a brand irby and the reason i was asking is uh, Irby took off. They they did things different and they started to make offerings that others were not. And by talking about it and building to that brand, and and especially if, if you have a concentration in one market, what's going to happen is other investors are going, why are the better tenants going to Michael and Susie's building? Uh, yeah. Right. How come the, the these guys are at 98% occupancy and we're at 82% occupancy? And then people will start to pay attention and go, ah, Michael and Susie are putting virtual, you know, doormen in their buildings. Michael and Susie are putting a washer and dryer connections in their buildings and you will start to raise the bar. And people are gonna go, well, we wanna be at 98% occupancy too, right? And they'll start to make offerings. And we've seen this happen. Uh, that's why I brought it up. And I think, it's, I think it's awesome, guys. I really think this is amazing stuff. Thank you. Thanks, James. Appreciate that. Yeah, it's a, you gave us a new bar to achieve. So thank you for <laughs> <All right>. that. <laughs> you know, we, uh, I'm, I'm sure you guys found the same thing as you got into this space. Uh, everybody wants to help, right? Like the, the this there's especially in this podcast world. Uh, I've I had never done anything like this before. It was completely new to me, and it was intimidating. And as I started to do more and more episodes and talk to more and more people. Like, I could not believe how gracious everybody was and how much people out there wanted to help. It really has been a great experience for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that because it's everybody's in that abundance mindset. Like, there's enough to go around for everyone. So why don't, you know, if Michael and I say this a lot, but we'd rather be like a barrel full of monkeys than a bucket full of crabs. Cause like a barrel full of monkeys are helping each other up and pulling the other one up, but like a bucket full of crabs is just pulling everyone down. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So how do people find you? So thanks for asking. And I think the best way to find us, uh, I'll give two ways here in a second, but um, if you want to learn more about passive investing with purpose, and learn about how to achieve the greatest ROI, which we call return on impact, then please go to adventurousrei.com forward slash impact. And there you can find a guide. You can read more about return on impact and passive investing with purpose. Um, additionally, you can go to adventurousrei.com forward slash info. And there you can find, it's a landing page with all of our links. There you can find um, how to connect with Susie and I on LinkedIn. You can find our YouTube channel. It talks about passive investing with purpose and, and other you know, asset management and things like that. And you can find our podcast, The Adventures of a Real Estate Investor, where we talked with, with real estate investors and how they're leveraging real estate in order to make an impact in their communities and their lives as well. So thank you. Well, absolutely. Go, go check out the booklet, folks. It's a, it's a nice short read and it's got a lot of great information in there. Michael, Susie, thank you so much for taking the time out today and 
and absolutely best of luck in, in, in everything that you're working on. Thank Thanks, you. James. I appreciate that. It's been such a pleasure to be on your show. So thank you. Uh, the, the pleasure was all mine. I love the enthusiasm. I think this is a, you guys are, are a model for, for what can be done and how it should be done. So best of luck and uh, everybody out there as always, please stay safe. Thank you.